Man, y'all give it up for your pastor, right? One of the greatest youth pastors out there. Um, I'm excited to be here tonight because when I, when I think about Jacob and his family, like he was talking about, Callie got to come through our school. It's like come and speak with family, right? And so I've been able to be along this journey and watch God do so much inside of his life as he stepped into the next season and what that looks like. And so the only rag I had on him, I was like, I don't know why you're waiting so long to let me come preach at your youth uh, group, right? And so I was like, I'd love to come preach at youth life. And so I reached out to him and Sure enough, he was very gracious to say, absolutely, let's make it work. He fit me inside the window. And so I'm here, and I have a word that I want to share with you. Two of my students um, from Crossroads Leadership College are going to help me share this message. And so you're going to hear from them as well, because I believe if God gives me a pulpit, I'm going to share it with people that have a calling on their life, because that's going to bless you. And so... Um, I'll get the little prelim thing out of the way. So I direct, obviously direct Crossroads Leadership College. Uh, we have several of our students here tonight. Um, it would, maybe you've met them, maybe you haven't. So if you haven't met them, hey, they would love to get to meet you. Uh, we have a little uh, table set up in the back. Uh, what, what that table it represents is what we, what I decided was going, hey, we have individuals that are going to college and they're walking away from their faith. And it just, it doesn't sit well with me because I'm going, why does college have to be the place where we're all of a sudden, we're like, yeah, I don't believe nothing. <laughs> yeah, everything said was a lie. Uh, yeah, I'm unsure. No, that doesn't have to be the case, right? Like instead I go, why don't we create something where somebody can step into that season of life with boldness um, that can really um, get their degree of, and we offer a fully accredited degree through a college uh that's in Wachihashi, Texas, that's called SAGU. And so it's completely online, but on the campus. And so we walk you through it. We have your own, we have our own RA at the college and everything there. And so, but in order for someone to get what God has for them, I said, hey, I want an environment where apologetics is being preached, where their faith is being described, because your why is important. Why do you believe what you believe? Right At this age, whether you're from the ages of whatever, 12 to 17 years old, before you go into step into adulthood, you should know what you believe. And you should be able to give an answer for when somebody says, hey, what do you believe about this? But so many times we always get to a place where like, I don't know. And instead I went, no, no, I don't want them stepping into college if they didn't get that during their high school years, which I believe you can get that. You're going to hear that inside of my message. But the reality is, is that God has that for you. So here's what I do. I go, okay, how do you describe a school like we are? Because we're connected to a church. Um, I'm glad that you, you have Pastor Jacob. He can explain even more to you if you really want to know what it is. But the best way I can do that is we just created a three-day event where we make God the big deal. You get to hear about our school. We're going to do things and we're going to explain who we are and what we do. It's a free event. We're going to feed you. We're going to house you. Uh, you get to uh, come right on uh, campus right over there at Crossroads Church. And so that happens February 28th through March 3rd. And so if you're interested in that, just meet me back in the uh, or one of my students back there by the table. I'd love to get more information in your hand. Uh, I have a little it's just a little flyer like this and it has a QR code on it. It says campus days and you'll just sign up for it. It's not saying that, hey, if I sign up for it, I have to go. It's a free event, right? If you don't show up, it's not like I'm like, oh, I took your money. No, it's it's free, right? But if you sign up, it helps us get you the information so you can know about it. And if it's something God's leading you towards, we'd love to have the opportunity just to be able to navigate that with you. So enough about all the prelims, all the jargon. I want to get into what I came here to talk to you about. I believe I really do have a message for this generation. Um, I want to talk to you about what it means to, to embrace or the word risk. Uh, when you think of the word risk, I don't know if you're like me, but I go, okay, what did I, and so I started to ponder, what do I risk? You know, um, I'm, I'm a sports guy. I'm a movie guy. I would have never said anything about the 49ers, even though I have a very deep love for them. Uh, I'm definitely, you know, sensitive about the fact that you guys are all Saints fans. I get that, you know. Um, eventually, you'll come to the other side. But uh, the reality is, is so because I'm a sports fan, I always just, I look at risk. I look at things. But but then I, I stopped and I said, what's some of my favorite movies, right? Like, I'm a father of three. Uh, my wife's right there in the back, Michelle. She's she's the reason why I even have the platform to be able to speak. I love her. And so you get to uh, meet her. And in fact, Jacob just found out she's here. And so, uh, but that's the reality of 
of what I get to do, I also get to raise these three kids, which is crazy because I'm like, why did someone, God, you entrusted me to raise these three kids? And, you know, I, I'm the parent that sometimes celebrates risk. Um, don't tell my wife this, even though I'm telling on myself right now. I shared it with her. I, we, I say things to the kids like, hey, if you do this, just don't tell mama, right? Like the reality is, is I'm, I'm encouraging my kids to jump off the top bunk bed into a, a pile of... Um, stuffies, they call them. My kids call them stuffies, stuffed animals, right? And, and my, my son, I was really not thinking he would do it. Like, I knew my little, my little girl, Nessa, like a firecracker. Like, I, I could say, do a belly flop into him and she probably would, right? Like, she's just like, I'm brave. And she'll look at Bubba's like, I'm not scared. Like, I'm brave, Bubba. And it motivates my son, who's 16 months older than her, who's the firstborn. And, he, you know, so he'll get up on the edge and he's like, ooh. And he'll look at me, Dad, Dad, I'm brave, huh? And I'm like, yeah, son, you're brave. And I'm like, you're thinking in my mind, you're not going to jump. Like, you're not going to do it. And so he stops and I, he'll sit back down. And, and then my, my little, um, my little girl, uh, who's the middle child, has no problem. She, she pushes him out the way, like, come on, dude, what are you doing? Moves him out the way, goes, Dad, count to three. One. And she jumps on two, and I'm like, whoa. And I'm like, yeah, okay, she hit it. Good, good. She hit the spot. And it's like, from here, like, it would be, here's the bunk bed, and it's on that first row right there. It's like a basket full of, uh, things. So she actually has to jump out because my little girl is super petite, like, petite, curly hair, but she's a little firecracker, right? And so, after three times doing it, my son's like, I, I can take the risk. But but you want to know what I realized something is that risk is different for everybody. Right. For my little girl, her risk is I'm lighter. I hit that basket. It it doesn't feel for my son. He's kind of. So whereas my daughter got this little petiteness going on, my son's like big like me. Like, you know, he's like he's like just growing like a mammoth. Right. Like. And so for him, he stands up there and he's like. Dad, this is higher. Like, that's a shorter. Like, this is not, this is not an easy task for me because you're asking me to jump, Dad. And, and I want to do this because, because you're watching me and because I want to see it. But, but God, but if I'm being honest, Dad, this risk is, is a little bit more for me than it is Nessa. So yeah, celebrate Nessa, but Dad, realize my risk, right? Like, this is dangerous. And that's the thing about risk. If you look at the definition of risk, it's something that has danger involved with it or, you know, like, um, or the element of that something could happen or failure could happen, right? And so for my son, he finally, finally gets up the courage and he does not he jumps in it. And you know what's my favorite part whenever you tackle risk? Well, yeah, well, he didn't miss. But the reason why he didn't miss because he also calculated some stuff. I'm glad you said that because he was like, he saw it right there. He said, Dad, just pull it a little bit closer. <laughs> like, I just want to fall into it. Like, I'm already going to do this. But dad, I don't want to jump outward and miss it, right? So like I pulled it closer and he could see it and then he j got in it. But when he got out, he was so proud of himself. He's like cheering, little five-year-old, yeah! And I'm just like, yeah, Bubba, we're giving high fives, right? But that's the reality of risk. Risk does risk has great reward if you're willing to do some things. And sometimes you have to do something scared, right? And so I also think about the movie Lion King, right? I, I love, the, my, one of my favorite, obviously there's a part I hate in Lion King when they remade it, did Mufasa have to die again? Like, you know, like they could have edited that out and I would have been okay. I would have rewatched the movie, but I was literally having like moment. I was like, I don't know if I can watch this movie again. Like, like I don't want to see him fall again. Like, I don't like Scar and th they're really going to replay this again? Like, come on, Disney, like get it together. Like, we don't want to keep watching that. And so, but there is a part in the movie that I really like like you see i love when simba looks at nala and goes you want to go to the elephant graveyard and they're like "Ooh, the elephant graveyard you know and and nala's like yeah we can't go there and he's like no it's like risky like like this is going to be look i'm going to be king one day right breaks into that song all that kind of stuff but they had to lose the the dojo right they had to lose the bird and they do they get to there and then the father comes and the father's response was simba you disappointed me right but if, if you if you catch it, there's also a part where where his father was like, yeah, but he went he went and did it. Like he was brave, you know, like because you see that later on. And so I say that because what's something that's worth the risk? And I want to talk to you today, and that's the title of my message. If you're taking notes, right? And note takers are history makers. And so the reality is, if you're not taking notes, you're missing it. And so, but if you're taking notes, I want you to title this "Worth the Risk." 
Because you want to know what's worth the risk? Worth the risk is moving on with God. Worth the risk is understanding that my relationship can't stay at a surface level with God. Worth the risk is understanding that God isn't looking for, isn't just looking for followers. You see, he's looking for uh, he's not just looking for fans, I mean, he is looking for followers. He wants individuals that are going to walk this road with him. He wants individuals that it's going to mean something to them when they say, I'm a follower of Christ. And so being a follower of Christ and not just fans of Christ um, gives us a really good glimpse of it. And Matthew does this. I don't know if you've watched Chosen. Um, I'm going to give a little plug to Chosen because if you haven't watched it, you need to. Um, don't be that person that's like, I don't watch it because I'm afraid the Bible stuff's cheesy. Um, this guy did a great job really depending depicting Jesus and the disciples. And he really did an incredible job on my dude, Matthew, right? So like Matthew is like this, like a uh, guy that's like, um, excuse me, the numbers are incorrect. Like, uh, that's not going to work for me. Like, you know, we, this is a, this needs to be a calculated risk. You know, like that's who Matthew is. Like everything's about it. And so if you read the book of Matthew, what you're going to find is like, it's very detailed. Like, you know, Jesus did this. And it's like, you know, whereas like, you can go read Mark and everything. He's like, yeah, there was some fish and, you know, and then God just did something great. And Matthew's like, no, it was three fish and two loaves. And, you know, like he's just like breaks it all down for you because it's like, no, if it, the miracle is going to be there, it's got to be fully put. And Mark's like, I don't care. The miracle is what I care about. Right. Like the details aren't my thing, Matthew. And so but that's who Matthew is. And so you see it in Matthew 28. And I don't know if you've read Matthew 28, but it is the very last chapter of Matthew 28. And it's called the Great Commission. You see, the Great Commission for, for, um, for us is a mandate from God. It, it means that we have a mandate for to create and make disciples. It reads like this in Matthew 28. It reads like this, but the, and I'll start at verse 16. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but were, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He said, So therefore, he said, Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And I, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, if we're going to look at the Great Commission, I think it's something we, we have to really understand is that I believe we're going to discover what it means to be a follower of Christ. You want to know one thing I, I love about Jesus is he doesn't say, hey, come follow me and then figure it out. But that's what happens whenever you have a baby. Like I, I laugh at it, right? Like me and my wife have our first kid and we look at each other like they're letting us go home with this kid. Like, do they know we've never done this before? <laughs> like, this is really going to work out? And you're, like, checking their breath. You're, do you're doing everything you can, right, to, like, I hope they survive this. But that's not how God does, right? He lets us walk a journey, but instead he goes, hey, you don't have to walk that journey without an instruction. No, he gives us an instruction that's filled with ways to do it. And so, but the problem is that some of us don't read instructions, right? Like, I'll be honest with you. There's an instruction that comes with my iPhone. I've never read that thing. I keep every box. I don't know if you're like me. I can't, I can't throw away Apple boxes. I don't know what it is. Like, it's just so pretty. Like, I never use that box ever again. Uh, maybe if I sell my iPhone and I'm like, oh, I'm going to try to sell it. But most of the time, it's already cracked and broken by the time I get a new one, right? Like, and so, but I just like, we have a cupboard in our house. Literally, I'm like, babe, why do we have so many Apple boxes? Why can't I get rid of these? Like, and I, I don't know. It's like, I, I feel bad throwing it away, right? Side note. And so, um, but the reality is, is that um, God gives us these instructions and we have instructions. And so we see this right in Matthew 28. And so I believe that if we're going to be those followers of Christ, we have to understand something. We have to discover what it means to be a follower of Christ and not somebody in the vicinity. So if I'm being honest, we got to go more than just being a mere fan. Yeah, I don't want to just be a fan of Christ. I want to be a follower of Christ. So if you're a Christian today, you also belong to another kingdom. You see, biblical discipleship is the cultivation of kingdom people. It's the process of the body of believers to bring Christians from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity so that they are able to replicate the process in someone else. What did I just give you? I gave you the definition of discipleship. 
You see, when you're discipling somebody else or when you're going through a discipleship process, eventually all of my kids, in fact, my youngest right now is about to turn one on the 25th, right? All of my kids have grown past in some ways. Judah hasn't, my youngest, but they grow past milk. But right now, Judah doesn't just live on milk. He used to be just milk, right? Like right now he's like, hey, I want what they got. Like, give me the Captain Crunch. I don't want just Nessa eating the Captain Crunch. Like, you know, and and he's got really great um, reflexes and depth perception. Because, like, if you have a bowl by him, like, he just knocks the thing over. Like, I'm like, how did you hit that? Like, you little ninja. And so, uh, but the reality is, is he realizes, hey, I don't want just milk. There's other stuff that I want. And so that's discipleship, right? I want to bring you from infancy to maturity. And so the goal for God is to have men and women who have been developed over time into proper represent, repre, representatives of the kingdom that they're a part. So how do we really figure this out? There's a, that, that, that's the thing that I love about God, is that the 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and ascension on a cloud to heaven, he called a meeting. You see, the... The God that we serve said, hey, I'm not just going to disappear. I'm not like just deuces, I'm out. No, he said, hey, I'm going to call a meeting. And there were several meetings in that 40-day period that he left the grave and walked earth before he ascended to heaven, right, and went up to the cloud. And so, But the reality is, is before that, there's one accorded, um, documented meeting that he called. And uh, he gave a destination for this meeting. All the other ones, he was just like impromptu. He like walked up to him and was like, hey, Mary, it's me. You know, like I left the tomb. Like, yeah, it's really me. Look, scars in my hands, like all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the reality is, is the crazy part is Mary didn't recognize him, right, until she, until he said her name. And he's like, oh, Jesus, you know my name. You know, like, but the but I say all that because the re, because God's doing something inside of us, right? And he's establishing things inside of us. And so he calls this meeting. You see, it's the only scheduled meeting. He had many meetings, but none scheduled besides this one. And this meeting was so important that he had to designate the time and place. You see, you see this in Matthew 28, 16. I read it at the beginning. It says, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain, which Jesus had des- as designated. So I don't know about you, but if the person I was following and the person I was gave my life to walk three years with them, that they walked with Jesus and they were there. And then all of a sudden Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to die on a cross. I'm leaving, but I'm coming back. Hey, meet me at Galilee at this mountain. Can I be honest with you? Uh, I'm going to be at that mountain. Like, you know, I'm like, this guy, I've seen him do miracles. I've seen him do all kinds of stuff. I saw him die in a, a death that he didn't deserve on a cross, went to a tomb. If he tells me he's going to be at that mountain, I promise you he's going to be at that mountain. So I, I'm putting that like, I'm setting several reminders for it, right? Because I'm going to be at that mountain. I want to hear what he has to say. I know the designated time and place. Hey, I'm going to be there. But the reality is, is that, it is, it is just for us. He didn't just say it for the 11. Because as we continue to read, we'll see that according to 5, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 6, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most who remain until now. So if, we are, if you're doing math, right, there's 11 at the meeting, then there's another 489, right? So you have the, but there's also a third group at the meeting. You want to know what the third group is? It's us. And here's how I know that. Because Matthew 28, 20, if you just read down a little bit more, right, God puts things in the Bible that are important for us. It says, and lo, which with which lo means excitement, right? Like, and God, and lo, like, hey, hey, I have good news for you. I will be with you always to the end of the age. Um, I'm just letting you know Jesus hasn't come back, right? So that means we're at this meeting, right? We're at the end of the age. And so if that's the case, and I'm invited to a meeting, I'm not going to miss this meeting. I, I want to hear what God has to say about this meeting, right? And so, well, well, the end of the age has not yet come. So since we have been invited to the meeting, I think it's relevant that we hear exactly what Jesus was saying, right? So Jesus, Jesus comes and, um, and he calls this meeting as the risen Lord. And then look, at, then look, it says, after they gathered, they worship him. But it, but it goes on to say, that they saw him, the risen Christ. And verse 17 says this, they worshiped him, but they're, but there's a tagline, because I can relate to this. You see, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. You see, this meeting 
Here's Jesus. Here's doing this. I'm going through the mundane of life. I'm embracing this. I'm, I'm really, I showed up and I'm worshiping. And I don't know about you, but I'll be in the midst of doing something. I'm going, but is this real? God, is this really happening? Like, am I being bamboozled sometimes? Like, you know, and maybe I'm the only one in the room, but there's some doubt that hits me. And so I love that the Bible said, here's these people that found themselves at this mountain that probably, that it wasn't like just like, hey, I live right next door to the mountain. Let me walk over. No, like they probably had to really navigate to the mountain, right? They're there worshiping, but yet they were doubtful. So it says they came, they worshiped, they celebrated the risen Christ. And even question marks through some of them were, uh, were doubtful. They sang their songs, they prayed their prayers, and then it came time for the sermon. The crazy thing about Jesus is before he's preaching, he knows people are already doubting. Right? Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't feel good about up here speaking if you're like, I doubt he can speak. <laughs> you know, I'd be like, man, these people are just looking at me. They've got all these different kind of thoughts about me, right? Like, so, but that's what Jesus knows. He knows, hey, there's doubt going on inside of them. So then Jesus stands up because he's preaching today. You see, all the other times it might have been someone else preaching. But today, the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, that has now conquered the grave, right, that's coming says, I have all authority. I got the keys and here I am today because I'm preaching this message and I'm going to speak it with authority because I needed you to understand something that all authority on heaven in heaven and on earth is now mine. So that means that Satan, who's going to attack you, that's been roaming this earth for so long, that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, no longer has a place in your life when Jesus steps in, when you allow him in your life. And so now all the authority, he's letting them know, I got the authority. You see, translation is what he's saying is, I'm in charge now. I'm in charge. So what he's saying is not is all authority, not some, not many, but all authority has been handed to me up there and down here in heaven, uh, on earth. He says, I'm in charge now. So therefore, Jesus says, go and make disciples. So he says, I'm in charge, and he tells, he creates a mandate, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says, I want you to make disciples. Can I, can I explain something to you? I don't know if you catch this, but I'm a word guy. I don't know. I, I, just the way God designed me, I guess. I, words jump out at me. I'm like, well, hold on. It could have said it, but it said if. You know, like it said when instead of if you, you know, like or whatever. But in this moment, he said, go and make disciples. You see, to make disciples is an imperative. It's, it's a mandate. It's not like, hey, if you decide you're just stumbling around the way and you want to be a disciple and you want to make disciples, that's cool. No, no, Jesus is saying, you don't understand. If you want to understand my plan and my design for you, it's one for you to understand discipleship. It's two for you to make disciples. And so he gives them this imperative. But like I said, Jesus just doesn't give us mandates and gives us things to do or commands without giving us the method to do it. And so we have this imperative, make disciples. It's not, it's not a request. It's not a suggestion. It's something for us to do. But he does this and Anytime we see this, we see the imperative make disciples, it's orbited by three participles. You see, a participle is simply something, the method of accomplishing the imperative. So instead of going, hey, make disciples, he didn't say deuces like the hospital did when they gave me my kid and said, good luck raising this kid. You know, like... Uh, I, I had to read a lot of books. We were trying to look up videos and we're like, hey, are we doing this? You know, I, I put a lot of trust in my wife. Like, hey, you know, this, this human came out of you. Like, you understand this, right? Like, like this thing is yours and it's mine, but you, you got a little bit more knowledge on this, right? Like, because if I'm being honest, I'm like, I, from this point, before I came a dad, I didn't want to hold a kid. I was like, I thought they were the most fragile things on the planet, right? But what I began to realize is that Hey, God instilled something inside of me and he gave me a God-given instinct to become a father and have a father's love. And I'm like, man, I do everything for this kid and I love it more than anything in this world. I'm like, you know, and there's people that do stuff for me and I don't love them as much, you know, but I'm doing everything for this kid and I love them, you know. And so, but the reality is, is that's what Jesus did. He said, hey, I want you to make disciples and here's how you should do it. And so the imperative is making more disciples, but everything revolves around making disciples. So we must ask the question, what is a disciple? That's, that's the real truth, right? Like, 
don't tell me to make disciples, but you're not going to tell me what a disciple is. So I'm glad you are so in, in tune and you want to know. So let me, let me sh- share with you what a disciple is. You see, the word disciple in the Greek text is pre- pronounced uh, Matheodos. Uh, I'm probably saying it wrong because I don't speak Greek, right? Like, but that's just how I say it, right? So Matheodos, M-A-T-H-E-T-E-S. And what that means, it was a very, it was a very well-known word in the Greek world. In fact, when somebody would say it, they would say it with such um, thoughtfulness behind it, or it had so much uh, reflection behind their voice, because here's what it meant. It meant somebody who was following in the footsteps of somebody else. So how do I know if I'm a disciple? I'm teachable. How do I know if I'm a, if what, disciple, what a disciple is? I have somebody else I'm imitating. I'm following in the footsteps of somebody else. So for example, in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 10, we read the verses where Jesus says, a disciple is not above his master. It is enough for the disciple to become like his teacher. So if a disciple is like someone who becomes like somebody else, that's what a disciple is. Or as he said, like his teacher, what's the goal? See, the goal of, the, of a disciple is to become like Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, guys, we have to be image bearers of who Christ is. Right? That's the, really what he's called us to do. So what does that look like? That looks like two things. The first one is character and conduct. Character and conduct. Does my character and does my conduct reflect Christ? And then, all, and then the second thing is attitude and actions. Does my attitude and actions reflect Christ? Right? Character and conduct, attitude and actions. And I'm not going to sit up here and say I, I nail that in the, I knock it out the park every time with that, right? Like I realize that there's times where I'm like, okay, my attitude could be better. I could quit complaining. Uh, my, my character and conduct, did I just fly off the cuff sometimes? Or whatever that looks like, right? So, but that needs to be progressively conformed into his image. And here's why. So we begin. You want to know why it's important that this happens, that we go on this discipleship journey? Is because I want to think the way Christ thinks. Right? Like the, the scripture says to transform and renew our mind daily. Okay. Well, then why do I wait a week to do it? If it means I have to do it daily, then every morning I should say, God, help me renew my mind. Help me, help me, help me take every thought captive and under the authority of Christ. Because, God, I want to walk in the authority that you give me. It's because I want to think the way you would think if you were thinking here right now with me. You see, I want to act. I want to act the way you would act if you were with me right now. And then ultimately, I want to be. I want to be what you want me to be. As if I was being with you right now. You see, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. I know you know that. And so it's becoming a replica of one another. I want to become a replica of what Christ has for me, not what Paul Jacqua has, right? But if you, but here's the, here's the caveat, I guess, in that, because I go, hey, I want to be all that God wants me to be, but how do I do that, Paul, in a world that's dominated by Satan? So what God wants us to do is train men and women like you in thinking of Jesus Christ. So that a culture dominated by Satan, right? I'm not, I'm not going to downplay that. We are in a culture that's dominated by Satan. Everywhere you go, that's very worldly, right? Like things are very worldly. It's, it's, it's like, okay, hey, sometimes I feel like the outsiders even say I'm a Christian, right? And so the reality is, is we live in this culture dominated by Satan. But here's what I want you to understand. What we want is to create a culture dominated by Satan that has to deal with the influence of people that have been consumed by their teacher, have becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. I think you've heard this said before, right? You're only strong as the weakest link, right? Like, so who's your squad, right? Like, in who who are the ones that are walking in this circle with you? Who are you doing life with? Because the reality is, is I'm only going to dominate or be part of or be able to tackle this culture that's influencing me when I have the right people that's going to push me past the limitations I'll put on myself. And so if you don't have someone in your life that's telling you, hey, you don't have to settle for that. You can go for more. Hey, let's dream big dreams. Let's go after all that God has for me. Uh, You need to go find that person if you don't have them. Because that person needs to be inside of your influence, right? They need to push you past it. So Jesus says he wants you to make disciples. Why? Here's why. So he can share his authority with you, right? 
Because here's what I need you to understand. Jesus only shares his authorities with disciples, not mere Christians. He doesn't just share it with Christians. Right? I, I, I know a lot of people that say I'm a Christian. And I'll say, what does that mean? Well, does that mean you just go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays? You know, like, I, Jesus isn't impressed with a Christian. He wants somebody who can operate inside of the authority. And so he's not looking for merely Christians. He's looking for disciples. So you can live all your life and never see the rule of God in your life. You can live all your Christian life and never see God rule over your life. Because what you are is a long-distance Christian instead of an up-close disciple. And you don't have to stay there as a long-distance Christian. That's not Jesus' plan for you. He wants you to be an up-close disciple. He wants you to walk and understand his ways and know what he, what he does. You see, you get to see all the authority operate when you become and when you are involved in making a disciple. I don't know about you, but, if, but you know, um, if, especially if you're the firstborn, I'm a lot harder on Isaiah than I guess I would be on an, a Nessa or a Judah. And here's why. Because when he does something, I said, hey, your brother and sister are watching that. And, and you, you're the first one that comes into accountability and you get to, and maybe you've heard that said by your parents, right, or different things. But that's the reality. That's the thing about discipleship. You see, when I know other people are looking, for, looking at me to emulate or to represent Christ well, it makes me go, I want to represent Christ well. Right? I want to do things that's going to draw people towards God instead of away from God. And so as I do that, that's what discipleship does. God's going to give me the authority because he realizes that I'm doing what he's called me to do. And so Jesus possesses all the authority, but if you have a long-distance relationship, you can't piggyback on that authority and get the benefits of that authority operating in your life. So you have to be a disciple to get this. He says, all authority belongs to me, so therefore make, uh, make people into disciples so that they can go, that, so they can get the authority and now just wait to get to heaven and see what it looks like. Don't just wait to get to heaven to see what it looks like. So what are those three participles we must follow to make disciples in closing? And so what I, I'm going to do is I'm going to have Ethan come up. Ethan's one of our freshman students, and he's going to tell you what's that first participle when it comes to making disciples. All right. Thank you, Pastor Paul. Hey, everybody. So I want to start off by just saying go. Okay, the first participle of all that Jesus says is go. The word is used in Matthew chapter 10 when he says, Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and tell them that the Messiah has come. All right, when he says go, he means that you get up off your behind and you go tell people about Jesus, basically. He tells you to go take your witness to the people in your school, in your town, and he tells you to bear your cross daily so that the whole world can see it. So that the people of this world can see Jesus in you. Because, honestly, we can't get comfortable in our cookie-cutter routines. I mean, let's be honest. Go to church, go to school, and then go hang out with friends. Go to church, go to school, go hang out with friends. Go to church, go to school. Yeah, you know, you get it. <laughs> but, you see, God calls us to be more than this world expects. You know, he calls us to be set apart for him. And when we're set apart for God, there should not be any question to whom you belong to, which is Jesus. <laughs> See, you can get away with a routine life if all you say is the word God. Because, you see, God is safe in many circles. See, we don't know who you're referring to when you just say God. But here's the thing. When you say Jesus Christ puts you in a whole other category because you won't offend anybody with the word God. Jesus is the problem because now you get real specific about what God you serve, what God you believe in. People know who you're talking about when you say Jesus Christ. Now, I personally struggle with witnessing because I didn't really want to offend anybody, but that's not really what I'm called to because... It's just, honestly, Jesus offended so many people. <laughs> it's so yeah. funny. See, my struggle was is that I didn't want my friends to know that I was a Christian because I kind of created a dynamic in our group, all right? Because I didn't want to be dubbed the Christian guy of the group. You know what I mean? Who here knows what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, 
here, when he says to you and me, go and let them know that the Messiah has come, it means that we have to get up from our comfortable schedules, our routines, and go tell people about the good news of Jesus. See, the truth of the matter is this. All right, listen up. It's easy to live for Jesus here in church amongst other Christians. It's easy to live for Jesus in this church bubble we're in. All right? But the minute you leave this worship setting, you run a risk outside these four walls of being called a fanatic, a risk of someone saying you're too spiritual or too serious, or you run the risk of people rejecting you or laughing at you for God's namesake. You simply run a risk. So what Jesus is saying here is that the risk is so worth it. Take the risk. All right. So take the risk. What does that mean? That means that you have a mandate. It means that you have something to carry. It means that other people, you should, I'll be honest with you. If you care about the individual that's sitting next to you in your classroom at school, then you're going to go, hey, I want to at least make sure that they know who Jesus is. You see, that's our responsibility. So Jesus said, go. Go go bring your witness to other people because you have a story to tell. The next portion that we're going to go into is the second part of what the, the second participle is that gives us the mandate to go and make disciples. And I, I'm going to have my friend Garrett come up here and share what that portion is. <clears throat> Hey, can y'all hear me? All right. So I have a question. So how do we make disciples? We simply just teach them. That's simply how it is. But what's the best way of teaching them? Is to be live a Christ-like life. Be the living example of Jesus. That's the best way to disciple people. Second of the... Oh, sorry. I need my reading glasses. Second of all, teach them. The best way to teach them is to live, be a living example of Jesus. What do you teach them with? Scholarly things? No. Real discipleship is following the example of Christ and applying it to your life. So Jesus is simply just trying to tell you how to live for him, how to observe the word and what the word says, and to observe what Jesus has commanded us to do. And they're pretty simple commandments. The things that Jesus has taught us is to love God with all your heart and love your neighbor like Jesus loves. The true goal of preaching is not merely to attain knowledge. The goal of preaching is observation or application because without it, teaching becomes a waste of time. There's a difference between getting in the Word and actually letting the Word get into you. And I have a personal example of that in my own life. Because in my own experience, I would say my whole life I've known what Scripture is, but I didn't know Scripture. I didn't have it written on my heart. I just had it written on my Instagram. So that's one thing I've just always told God. I was like, God, don't let it just be on my Instagram. Let it be in my heart. And then another note is, Jesus says, teach them to observe what else I have commanded you. So earlier I said, love God with all your heart and love like Jesus did. So this is another simple commandment. Jesus commands us to be learners so that we can teach it to others. In order to be a great or even decent teacher, you must first become a great student. You have to be a steward. You are not a disciple until the application has truly hit. The fact that you take notes, memorize verses, and all that, it's nice. But until you actually put it into your life, it's just words. And I have a personal experience, again, in my own life. So I've attended church most of my life, but I would consider myself a long-distance Christian my whole life. I've memorized scripture, did all the checking of the boxes, everything, you know. But it didn't really mean nothing because as soon as I spoke it, people were like, you're not living it. And I was like, okay. So and so I'd go to church, check off the boxes. But when I got home, I'd go back to living a worldly life. I wouldn't actually apply it. So what this caused me to go through was major convictions in the back of my head for my entire life up until about six months ago. So one day, something just clicked once I got to CLC. And I just decided enough was enough. And that in order for me to actually find true joy in life, I would have to submit to the authority of God and my pastors and actually put Scripture into my heart. And the good thing is, ever since that day happened, I've had this like 
unexplainable joy in my heart for the first time in my life. And knowing that I, I know I'm going to go through more hardships, more losses, more trials and tribulations, but I know that I have Jesus guiding me. It's just up to me to take the risk and let him guide me. His will over my will. Another note is, teach them to observe because the goal of discipleship is life-touching. Is life-touching life, not just people and seats here in a sermon. So, through teaching, Jesus is simply saying, everyone's worth the risk, so take it. That's good. Thank you, Garrett. So, so let's talk about that. Because one, bringing your witness is worth the risk. And can I be honest with you? I'm tired of seeing people quit on people. People are worth the risk. It's worth getting involved in their lives and allowing them to have the access to your life so therefore together you guys can sharpen each other to go after God. People are worth the risk. And then lastly, the mandate or the third participle was to go was to baptize. And you're like, what? So you're going to dunk me in water? No, that's not it at all. You see, God wasn't saying, I just want, I don't want people just to be baptized, even though there is the spiritual representation of going underneath the water and coming up as a new creation, right? But what he was saying is, hey, I want you to understand, I want you to be baptized in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because here's what God was saying, I want you to understand that we're in unionship together. You see, because whatever you do can be a poor misrepresentation of who I am as Christ. Because you're my walking billboard. You see, God says we're image bearers of him. And if we're going to bear God's image, then we have to understand the union that we have when we're baptized in the name of Jesus, when we understand who we are as disciples. And so I say all that because if you're going to take the risk, which Jesus is worth the risk, and everything that I'm saying is because Jesus is saying, I want you to understand that you're going to represent my name no matter what you're doing. Because here's the, here's the idea behind it, guys, is that Jesus wants you to understand that if you're a doctor, you're no longer just a doctor. You are God's representative in a medical field so that the medical field sees what it looks like when God helps people who need a miracle. You see, what you are, you're a businessman or a businesswoman. You're not just a businesswoman. You can't say that's all I am because when you carry the mandate and the manifestation of who Christ is, you're now a business person that, that's a representative that shows the business show what it looks like when God cuts a deal. You see, when you're a teacher, you're not just a teacher. You're God's representative in the classroom so that the classroom gets to see what it looks like when God teaches a lesson. And then... Let's just go down the line, right? You're not just somebody, a home taker, or you're taking care of your kids, raising your kids. That's not just what you are. What you are is God's representative in the home so that the home gets to see what it looks like when God raises a family. I need you to understand that. As God's going, hey, I just want you to understand. I give you all access to me. I want you to have all access because young woman, young man, I no longer want you to feel like you're walking this life alone. You see, I've never left you nor forsaked you is what God's word says. You see, he's been there in every hurt that you've walked through. He's been there in every situation that you walked through, whether it was like, hey, that was a tough situation. I never want to go through that again. God doesn't want you to go through it either. But in that moment, he was there if we'll stop and realize that God was there. You see, I stand on the stage and I go, God, how do you give me the ability to speak? How do you give me the ability, the platform to bring other people along and say, hey, Garrett, this is the first time you're going to speak. Here's a mic. I want you to proclaim what it means to live an active faith. Hey, Ethan, here's this. Tell them what it means to be a witness. And then Ethan's like, yeah, that's a hard thing for me. But yeah, he stood up here and said, hey, if I can do it, so can you. Can we challenge each other to go further for who God is? And then ultimately, I stand up here and I go, God, how could you take somebody who was so broken, somebody who didn't know if there was even hope? In fact, today is a, a, an interesting time for me because I was talking with someone who's transitioning to Oklahoma, and the reality is that I begin to share with him that I've now lived for God as long as I live without God. You see, I'm 34 years old, and I didn't set God in my heart till I was 17 years old. And a tragedy happened in my life when I was 15 years old. My dad died in a car wreck. In the midst of that, I was broken. I was hurt. I couldn't trust. I didn't understand how to go further with God. You see, I was like, God, don't tell me to bring a witness even when I was trying to navigate who God was inside my life because I'm going, you took the thing that meant the most to me out of my life. 
And you say you're there, God, but I don't understand. How would you be there? But yeah, I don't have the very thing that I feel like I need the most. So now, God, you're not only telling me to go and bring a witness and tell people a testimony, but God, you're also asking me to act like Christ, to represent you well when I'm still trying to figure this out, this broken young man that's 17 years old trying to navigate this. And I believe there's somebody in this room that's trying to navigate things inside of their life. And the Lord would say, hey, if you'll lean into me and trust me, I'm going to be the father to the fatherless like he was for Paul Jacqua. You see, God knows what you're walking through. He's not sitting up there twiddling his thumbs wondering, hey, what's this individual needing? No, he's going, if they'll understand the love that I have for them, if they'll come running to me, if they'll give me access, I will establish new things inside of their life. You see, I want to be in union with them. I don't care what they've gone through. I don't care how many times they've rejected me. I don't care that they, if they don't acknowledge me. What I care about is that they have that moment where they realize I've been here all the time. I've never left you nor forsaked you is what God says. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed in this room, I want to I take a moment because I want to ask you, does, does that resonate with you? Are you in this room? And if you would be honest with me, would you say, Pastor Paul, that's me. You see, I'm walking through things and I feel like I want to say God's near, but I'm not sure if he is. And if I'm going to be honest tonight, I want to give God access into my life because I want that union with him. You see, I want to leave here tonight and be able to go talk about my witness. I want to leave here tonight and really start a life of discipleship because I'm done being a long distance Christian. Tonight, I want to be an up close disciple. You see, I want access to God like I've never had before. If that's you and you feel God tugging on, on your heart, guys, it's not complicated. God's not saying you have to do this and that in order for that to happen. What God's saying is if you'll stop and you'll just say yes to me, I'm going to show you how I was involved in every situation. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, that's you. I just want you to do, some, do, do, do something for me. Just raise your hand. You can put it right back down. Yeah, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. God, you see him. God, you notice them. God, they're not, they're not invisible to you. And so here's what I'm going to have you do. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you can keep them closed. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to repeat a prayer after me. But everyone in this room is going to say that prayer with you. And you want to know why? Because there's not a person in this room that wasn't sitting where you're at right now. That eventually needed to make God real in their life. That needed to come into union with God. And so everyone's going to repeat this prayer after me, but say it right from your heart. Let it mean something. Say, Lord Jesus, for too long, I've kept you out of my life. And I know that I'm a sinner and that I cannot save myself. No longer will I close the door when I hear you knocking. By faith, I have gratefully received your gift of salvation. I'm ready to trust you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to earth. I believe you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you for bearing my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe your words are true. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my savior. Amen. Amen. Can you all give him a round of applause? Here's what I want you to know. If you said that prayer with me tonight, um, find Pastor Jacob and let him know that. Why? Because it's not because it's like, hey, I need, he needs to know. No, it's because I know he's going to pray for you. I know he's going to check up on you. I know he's going to walk you through a discipleship process. This was the greatest decision you ever made because you're now in right standing with God. You ask God to forgive you of your sins. It's that simple. And God goes, hey, now you're an image bearer of my name. But I want to do one more thing. And I don't know if I have time. Pastor Jacob, you tell me if I do or not. If you need to come grab the mic, you can. Um, 
The, the last thing I want to do, and I'll probably just do it this way. I'm just going to pray for you, but I want you to, if you need more time and you don't have to rush out of here, all of my students would love to pray with you. They'd love to have that moment just to be able to call down heaven on your behalf, because I believe there's some in here, if we're going to be honest, it's what we read in Psalms 34, one through three, and I'm going to pray over everybody. But if you want to, if you need more time to pray, uh, I'd love for the opportunity to pray with you as well. You see, Psalms 34, one through three says it like this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. My soul will, will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. You see, what I love about that is it talks about magnifying. You see, the reality is that I want you to understand is that God doesn't need to be bigger in your life. You see, God's big. You see, God can't get, well, let me rephrase. I said that wrong. God does need to be bigger in your life, but the reality is, is God can't get bigger. You see, God already created everything. He's already omniscient, omnipresent, omnipresent. He's there. He has full access. He doesn't, you know, he chooses to let us ask for the access. But I say all that because you want to know what it says when the psalm says, oh, magnify. What does a magnify glass do? If I had a magnifying glass right now and I put it up to some words because I needed it and I had a hard time reading and the older I get, I feel like that's the case, but right. And so I put it up there, but the, but the thing is, is I didn't actually make the words bigger. No, I made it appear bigger. And for some of us tonight, we need to find, and I want to pray for you, God, we just need to make you bigger in our lives. You see, God, I'm not, I already know you're big. But the problem is, as I'm making you small in my life and I'm living small, when God's called you to live for so much more and to live bigger. And so let me pray for you real quick. God, I thank you. I thank you for every single student that was here tonight. God, you are moving on hearts. God, you're doing things. But God, tonight we want you to be glorified. You see, God, through the action of us understanding to go and make disciples through teaching and living our life that way, God, in understanding that we're in union with you, God, we want to stop and say, God, we're going to make you bigger in our lives. God, in our schools, you're going to be bigger. God, in our language, you're going to be bigger. God, in our music, you're going to be bigger. God, on our social media and our platforms, God, you're going to be bigger. God, in my friends, you're going to be bigger. God, in my family, I will make you a bigger deal than you've been. I'm sorry, God, that I've made you so small in my life. God, when you deserve a bigger place, and it's in your matchless name I pray. Amen. Amen.